Welcome to Nodeworthy, the official podcast of Technode.com. I am John Artman, Editor-in-Chief. So this week we bring you the recording of an event we held on December 18th, looking at, uh, well, the title is uh, Blockchain in 2019. Uh, as you'll find out very, very quickly, of course, we don't talk too much about uh, what's going to happen in 2019, saving that uh, more for the end. Instead, we talk about what's happened over the last year, trying to tease out some trends, and then, uh, as I said, towards the end, talking a little bit about uh, about some actual predictions. Um, but before we get into it, I wanted to thank our partners at uh, Akadu for live streaming the event, as well as providing the fairly high quality audio uh, that you're about to listen to. Also, if you haven't already, please do make sure to subscribe to our newsletters. Uh, We send out newsletters every single day, including our daily briefing, which is a curated summary of the most important news stories to come out of China's tech, as well as the China Funding Daily, a thrice-weekly look at the most important and biggest fundings in the startup ecosystem. Go to technode.com slash newsletters to subscribe. And now let's jump right into the Blockchain in 2019 panel. We're talking about talking about blockchain in 2019, um, and uh, what that means, I think, is different to to a lot of different people. Um, and so, for for the purposes of uh, our discussion tonight, uh, we're going to be looking broadly um, at kind of what's been happening. Uh, also, maybe uh, at some point making some predictions, um, as you know, uh, devious and tricksy as predictions always are. Um, but it's always kind of fun to try anyway. Um, and also, I think that one of the things that I, I kind of want to point out is that we're not going to be talking much about crypto. Uh, we're not going to be talking necessarily about specific specific coins or, or anything like that. Um, obviously, there's there's the regulatory environment that that we all live in. Uh, but then also, to be honest, I mean, in, in 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 my point of view at least, blockchain is much more than crypto. Um, but all that being said, you still have to talk about it because that's that's the water that that we swim in is this uh, is the is the current the current bear market uh, both of course uh, the broader market but then but then uh, with tokens and uh, blockchain projects in general um, so I guess first questions first I mean like so so in, in I think this is this is kind of a basic point of discussion but at the same time one that net, one one that needs to be had and so what what is what do you in your mind what is the difference between crypto and and blockchain Rohan, why don't we start with you? Okay, so um, for those of you who aren't aware, blockchain is basically a data structure that many crypto projects are underpinned by. So this is this is something that has been marketed for the most part as revolutionary, innovative. This is something. This is the core grab, the core new technology that many of these projects are based on. So for me, basically, when you're saying blockchain or crypto, they're relatively meaningless terms because it's more like a collection of technologies that come together that provide something that has never been really delivered in that fashion before. That's Whether you want to call it blockchain or crypto is not so important. It's the projects themselves and what they offer on an individual basis that is most important. Um, I think for me, it's a similar breakdown between the, the base technology of the ledger that you can build um, with a blockchain. And I think maybe a good way to understand or a good way to think about it, at least it's helpful, is cryptocurrencies tend to be based on the permanent ledger feature of blockchain. 
the blockchains aren't limited to that ledger functionality. It's something you can do with the blockchain, but they're also networks. They have broadcast features. They have security features. So I think on the on the crypto side, we'll see more. I think people thinking about it as the general fintech applications of blockchain moving on. And I think what we haven't seen much over the last couple of years, where we're starting to get a smell of again in the in the in the movement. I remember back in the old kind of geek days when Bitcoin meetups were geeks talking about funny technology that nobody cared about. That sense of well, who knows what this will do, who knows how it'll change the world, and Bitcoin's fun because you can use it for payments, and I can see how I can use it. But it was no, there was no sense that that was where this would end. Um, so to me, that's really where the, where the split falls between ledger-based applications of blockchains and looking further about what else can you do with this technology. Yeah, to me, uh, crypto uh, mostly means the abbreviation for cryptocurrencies. Uh, hence, uh, it is the uh, native type of uh, token that actually facilitates either payment or uh, value distributions for blockchain-based uh, applications. Uh, uh, the, the, the blockchain itself, like you mentioned, uh, seems to emphasize more on the ledger reporting part uh, by itself. So that's kind of like the balance uh, oftentimes in those kind of conversations. And I, and I, just, I just realized that, um, that I forgot to let you, guys, let you guys give an introduction. Sorry about that. I was, I was too excited to get into the topic. Uh, Sarah, why don't we start with you? Just a quick introduction. <laughs> Sure. I'm Sarah Zen, uh, founder of Points. Um, Points is a blockchain-based data collaboration protocol. We mostly focus on thin financial industry applications. My name's uh, Rowan Malhotra. I'm a, a media person. I work for a company called uh, Token Insight, doing research and analysis there, trying to understand the broader industry through uh, different valuation models, things that haven't really been attempted before in the traditional space. Uh, my name is Richard Paris. I'm with Cyto.Tech, uh, co-founder there. And we're a new public blockchain project concentrating on fixing and addressing some of the fundamental problems that stop blockchains from scaling massively. Uh, so you'll hear me talk a lot about massive on-chain scaling through the evening. Perfect. And also, um, for, for you guys in the audience... Uh, I want this to be as, as interactive as possible. You know, we have a fairly a fairly small uh, uh, venue here. Uh, we're we're packed in fairly tight. So if you have uh, any questions at any point, just raise your hand, uh, and we will we will get to it. So we want it to be interactive. If you have questions, just let us know. Obviously, I have my questions, uh, and perhaps the panelists have their own questions. Uh, but if you do, please do let us know, and we'll we'll make sure to uh, to get to them. Um, so crypto versus blockchain, we've kind of covered that again. Again, a basic question, I think, but. One that kind of needed needed to be addressed, but then you know, looking looking at you know the the economic reality of a lot of projects, right? So you know, 2017 was kind of the year the year of the ICO. Uh, there a lot of a lot of different projects made a lot of money, um, basically floating floating their coin at the right time, and we're seeing some projects even more recently in in a, in a bearish market. Um, trying to do the same thing and, and falling flat, unfortunately. So I guess, I mean, how, how is the bear market affecting, affecting the industry so far? I mean, are we seeing projects, projects die off? And how is, how is that going? You want, you want to take that? Sure. So I think it's important to recognize the difference between the core premise of the technology, the ongoing development efforts, the actual technological innovation, and the price. 
You can speculate on all kinds of assets, seashells, gold belts, tokens, uh, Bitcoin, whatever you want to speculate, you're able to do that. And, and the financial markets are full of speculation. That's the name of the game. But unlike the financial markets, what we saw last year with, to with tokens and ICOs is that we don't have a collection of metrics or models with which to truly understand these projects. So people were able to release projects and say, we do all these amazing things and it's going to change the world, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, give us money. And because it wasn't that in conjunction with not being regulated meant that whatever, right place, right time, just as John said, money flowed in. But that isn't necessarily the reason that these things are worth uh worth what they say they're worth. What, they're, what they should be about is providing a new kind of technology and delivering on all these kind of promises. And a lot of projects are actually doing that despite the downfall, uh, the downturn in the, uh, their, their actual prices. So I think that's a misleading way to look at the potential for this kind of technology. Yep, I think, I mean, I broadly agree, so I don't have much to add specifically on that, but I think as someone running a project and someone who was raising from the start of this year, I actually think the prices being where they are is really good for the industry just because what you were getting was enough extra money into the sphere generally that you got extra service companies who were doing more marketing than you maybe needed and were pumping and hyping things. And it just created a noise, a noisier and noisier space to be in. I remember raising and every person you talked to about what, what you were doing, what we were doing, you got asked about three or four new projects you hadn't heard of. And maybe they were good projects. Most a lot of them I've never heard of again. But I think you were starting to hear about them because there was enough sort of hot money around that you could at least get as far as trying to promote them via ICO. And that was a real, I think, problem, not necessarily because there weren't valuable projects in there, but just because it meant that it was very hard to do it any other way. And it was very hard for the good projects to get their voice out amongst, you know, that, that self-perpetuating industry that was just making jobs for itself and creating an ecosystem for itself. And so to me, this is actually quite positive overall, although it makes things harder to, to do. So my plan is to be your data girl for the night. So two data points on this one. So first, uh, we, uh, a lot of projects are definitely impacted by the uh, decreasing price. Uh, so a lot of layoffs happening in this industry already. We were able to acquire some talents from some other projects who closed down their operations. Uh, even Bitmain uh, actually sold their uh, decentralized exchange to Bbox uh, a few days ago just to try to streamline and focus on the uh, uh, focus a little bit more on the main businesses. Uh, part of that is definitely a very big uh, result from the crash of the Bitcoin Cash. Uh, events, but at the same time, uh, this morning, so we just got a certificate from uh, uh, Ministry of Information and, and Industry. The other company will pass the same test. One of them is Ant Financial. The other one is Lenovo. There are only five of us passing that test. So we definitely see a lot of the incumbents and large tech companies coming uh, into the show as well. Oh, it's called a blockchain architecture certificate or some sort. So basically, uh, 
because uh, because the China government is also making a lot of uh, industry standards nowadays. Uh, it is morning, Tencent's uh, WeBank uh, published a uh, white paper about how they suggest people to uh, design privacy preservations on blockchain, etc., etc. Amongst the Ping'an's insurance uh, was the other one who is trying to write a standard on smart contracts. So a lot of those incumbents and tech companies are coming back into the show and doing a lot of work. Yeah. Great. Any questions so far? No. Yes. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit more about that certification. What is it? What does it mean? Um. So um, basically, I think there have been a lot of discussions about whether uh, blockchain should have certain type of industry standards, or like uh, such as like. To some extent, similar to what ISO has been doing, like uh, whether OPCI, uh, payment card industry standard, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, whether uh, when uh, a certain projects when um, so the government is trying to put out so-called CNAS uh, certification process. Uh, there are uh, many, many different use uh, test cases. Uh, I remember there were like more than a hundred of them from uh, how you operate your node to how your smart contract works, how many encryption methods you actually support, etc., etc. It's uh, kind of like a checklist. Oh. It's one of the national standards, yeah. Now, I don't think there is one D national standard yet, and I don't think that should be the case. But definitely the ministries are making national standards and uh, are having uh, projects volunteer to take those tests so that uh, you at least check certain functionality uh, test cases supervised by third-party experts. So, so, I mean, so again, kind of coming back to, um, I, guess, I guess what it really comes down to is the hype cycle. Uh, and, and blockchain, like like any any new technology, is is victim to it. So I guess are we are we in the trough of disillusionment? Um, are we are we at that point where more and more people are just kind of giving up on it? Um, and you know how do you how do you talk to people that are like, well, you know, the the, the market is crap, so blockchain must be must must have no 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 future. Maybe I'm isolated, but I'm not actually hearing that very much. Um, I think there's an investment and in, in a speculatory community who maybe are like, oh, I'm leaving off blockchain, I'm not getting back into that. But the people I know who've been in the industry for any length of time or the people even if they've come in recently but in a technical role or they're, they're building something they're interested in, even just writing about it academically, I don't see any real change. I mean, people are grumbling because some of us had crypto and it's worth less than it was. But there's not a sense that, oh, well, I'll just give all this up. And, and I haven't really sensed that at all. And at the same time, I don't think there's a sense of like, oh, we're all just rosy-eyed and dreaming that it'll all come back. I think people are quite understanding of where things are at and are getting on doing things. So maybe maybe I'm isolated, but I'm not really feeling that that much. Okay. I, I think it just goes back to my original point that you got to be able to separate the market action and the actual developments in the technology. And if you're going to follow, I mean, the problem with crypto, and it does, it does, I can understand how it appears absurd. You have an asset that went from basically $800 last year to 20000 and then now it's back to, what is it, $3,600 today. That's absurd. People would be jumping off buildings if that happened in the, in the, uh, in, in the regular financial world. But uh, that isn't the case in crypto. This has happened multiple times before. We saw the most significant, the previous massive recession was in 2000, in late 2013. 
And again, people were saying that same refrain, oh, it's over, blah, 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 blah. Most of the coverage, unfortunately, centers around price. It isn't trying to explain these kind of arcane technologies, trying to educate the public about why these things are so important. Uh, I mean, there is a bit of coverage on that, but it's difficult, inherently difficult to understand. So I can see how, for many people, this looks like the end. Um, Price-wise, it looks pretty bad. It's, it's true, but at least on a technological bent and in terms of industry adoption, institutional investment, we're making massive tracks here. It's, it's, we've, we've overcome some... There's been a lot of political conflict. If many of you guys have been following the, the main narratives, there's, and, and a lot of progress has been made on that. So I'm, I'm very optimistic, and I think there's a lot of work still to be done. So a few months ago, I have been starting to send my teammates about the price chart from last bear market and telling them last time Litecoin dropped from $50 to like uh, $2 to prep them up a little bit psychologically because it's definitely very shocking to see the price drop. But at the same time, I feel like uh, uh, if you just read general media, uh, it's over... Um, negative about the development, uh, which has a huge divergence between uh, what general audience thinks compared to what the, the industry uh, experts thinks. Uh, I, uh, I actually read a report, uh, a study conducted by Deloitte in the US. Uh, they actually surveyed uh, 1,000 uh, senior executives from uh, companies who have uh, 500 million and above revenues. Half of them are CIOs. Those companies have been studying blockchain or trying to deploy blockchains. Uh, when the first question is, do you believe, uh, and half of them are CIOs. So uh, the f first question is, do you believe um, uh, blockchain uh, technology is actually scalable and uh, will be able to be deployed uh, mainstream-wise? And 84% of res uh, respondents says yes, which was like uh, much more positive than I thought. Uh, similarly, they also surveyed the same group and asking, uh, do you think uh, blockchain is more secure than the traditional IT architecture or less secure? Uh, I say it's, uh, 40, 84%, you know, 85% uh, respondents also says yes, blockchain is more secure. So. Uh, that's like a way more positive compared to how I felt about uh, the sentiment if you only read like blogs and medium or Twitter or telegrams. Uh, actually, IBM uh, uh, commissioned Forrester, the consulting company, to conduct uh, actual ROI studies, economic impact studies on six of their real clients. Uh, uh, about uh, their actual uh, return on investment after actually deploying those blockchain projects. The five-year uh, ROI rate ranging from 49% in the low case to 590% in the high case. And those were real clients. So uh, I think we are uh, starting to see, uh, because uh, things take time to be measured, uh, now uh, there are finally some projects who can measure some of the impacts. Uh, it's uh, hitting that turning point that is more positive than we can generally perceive from reading news blogs. Yeah. And so I think that, that for, for me, for me at least, certainly, I have to admit that uh, when I first started getting into blockchain at the, the beginning of this year, um, so I don't, I don't, I, I've never owned any crypto, don't, don't, don't plan on it, uh, at least in the near term. Um, and so for me, it was purely from an intellectual point of view and, and what the technology actually can do and the potential, um, which was absolutely fascinating. And, you know, the, and we, can, we can talk about it. But um, I think that... that, that for me, at least, where some of my pessimism or, or bearishness comes from is, is, just, is just the fact that 
what I thought blockchain could do, I'm not sure if it actually can, and I'm not sure if it's actually going to be implementable in a way that can impact my life in, you know, let's say the next the next ten years, right? Um, so, so I guess I mean, look, looking from a look. Why don't you discuss what it can do then? Tell us what you're just for the audience. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, I mean, so frictionless transactions. Um, I was thinking, I mean, basically the merging of uh, online and offline. Um, so that, so for example, um, if you wanted to buy a house, you could you could actually do that um, in in a very limited period of time. You could go in, check it out with the blockchain, see see what the valuation is, see what the uh, any renovations that 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 have occurred are, um, and then make make a purchase decision pretty much on the spot, and then have 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 the deed in your name very quickly. Um, and and other other interesting applications. Sorry. That's doable in ten years. Is it okay? Well, maybe so maybe maybe I'm exaggerating on my pessimism then. Um, so I guess I guess that's 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 kind of one of the big questions. We're talking a lot about kind of the market and valuation and stuff like that. But now I want to talk we'll talk more about the technology itself. Um, so so with 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 all the hype, how much of that how much of that hype was about the technology, and how much of the pessimism now is about the actual technology? So you kind of answered the question already, I think, to a certain degree, yeah. Okay, well, the hype in, in a lot of ways is not that it was false. It's just that people have unrealistic expectations as to how quickly this is all going to happen. People have to remember that this is, at least with the, the original premise was something called digital cash or a peer-to-peer -peer version of digital cash. And this goes back 30 years, basically 30 years. It's been attempted multiple times. And most of those attempts have failed or they've been disrupted or shut down and the most recent one, the longest surviving one, 10 years and running now, is Bitcoin, right? It's still running. It's remarkable that basically a volunteer effort has launched a project that still exists and is actually functional today. Like, it's like, you know, me and a bunch of guys got together. We came up with this wacky idea. We launched it. People have spent millions of dollars on it. And you can actually use it. Now, does it do smart contracts? Can you securitize real estate? Can you, you know, trade bonds and do shares and such? Maybe at some point, technologies are being developed to seamlessly link the real world and the digital world. Are they, you know, are they mainstream ready yet? No, for the most part, uh, they are being worked on. Or if they do work, they're working in a smaller capacity. It's not something that. Um, that is is a finished project and like actually here's a good analogy linux if many people you are aware is probably like the biggest open source project in the world it's a collaborative effort that didn't just begin with linux it actually began 10 years before that with uh with the gnu project uh, richard stallman came up with some ideas about how we could do business differently how we could have open models to create things and it took another 10 years for the linux kernel to come around and then 20 years for android to come around and i mean amazing progress has been seen but it didn't happen in literally the space of like a few years or when the hype cycle was in i don't know 1993 or whatever this is a, a very long and drawn out experiment um, I think I can really well pick up from there in terms of, I think you've covered the, the hype cycle as well, but I think in that history as well, what we saw last year was a lot of hype around, in fact, quite low-hanging fruit. So 
Bitcoin is kind of proving itself. People were starting to believe. And then there was a lot of low-hanging fruit, which is other ledger-based, transaction-based technologies to do with you know, fintech and the kinds of things you're talking about. And I think the funny thing about all of that, and we've only just started to see this coming back into community discussions, is the whole other half of that cypherpunk dream of a network that's uncensorable and lets you uh, transact freely across it. Um, and I don't even think we've started to scratch the surface about how disruptive that can be. I think there's a whole series of much bigger, much more difficult projects that don't yet necessarily have those rails built for them like, like Bitcoin has, uh, and certainly what we're working on. And I think that's, that's what can get you super excited at the moment. Um, but like you say, these aren't things that are going to come about and change everything immediately. I think the road to, to those changes involves building the technology, getting industry to start using it, um, you know, and there's a lot of incumbency to, 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 to get out the way. Right. Yeah. yeah, so there's there's the technical side, and then, then as, as you said, there's there's the adoption side, which kind of Sarah Sarah was talking about a little bit, uh, and and I want I want to come back to that, um, but 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 in the, on the technical side, I mean, what 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 are what are some of the big remaining challenges right now? And of course, you're going to say scaling, but yeah, I, I mean, I really think that's it. The underlying cryptography works. Nobody's running around cracking RSA, or if they are, we've got bigger trouble. Um, seriously, uh, the data structures themselves are good. And there's a suite of tools and things to mitigate the technical challenges, like sharding, those sorts of things. They're great for data management, etc. when you have these things in place. The biggest problem is nobody solved the fundamental problems yet around how do you get genuinely giant non-volunteer Networks because people will volunteer. I volunteered a Bitcoin node in, in my old office. Don't tell accounting um, for for years um, because I thought it was a good idea. I was an old Linux head and open source guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna run a Bitcoin node. Um, I'm not going to put massive transaction volumes that cost me ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars a month to run in a data center out of the goodness of my heart, and I'm not going to do it because I've got some other vested interest and I'm just going to try and work the numbers because then I'm just a schmuck, right? If I'm doing validation or if I'm doing something else that these networks need and I'm just, you know, donating back to the network, well, Rowan here is going to see the error in my ways and dedicate all of his money to out-competing me. So we still haven't solved those problems. And you look at what people have been doing last year with validators, and I'm getting into the weeds a bit here, but with a lot of the, the projects out there, they were all about trying to like glue technical solutions to stop a leak here or to push people that way there. And I think what we're seeing now with Enchain are talking about after you alluded to the, the BCH uh, split, people starting to talk about massive on-chain data again and I think if we can solve those core problems we have we haven't seen anything yet in terms of how blockchain comes out and how it affects the incumbent technical industry yeah and, and perhaps maybe um, a bit of a, a bit of a, a quick uh, vocabulary lesson so on chain off chain you know layer one layer two what is what is what is all what does all this mean uh, who wants you to take, take that and you all right I'll um, I'll uh, try to make it as accessible as possible so we mentioned before at the beginning this idea of the blockchain. What is the blockchain? It's a data structure that enables 
uh, a decentralized ledger or, for example, an Excel spreadsheet. In the simplest terms, you've got this big global Excel spreadsheet that people can input things into. And why is it valuable? Because there are multiple stakeholders, basically. So when you do on-chain transactions, for example, you're basically modifying a variable in that Excel spreadsheet. You know, you're saying Bob has $10 and now he has $20. Um, so now there's the problem with that is in keeping with this decentralized structure, having the multiple stakeholders, there are limitations. There can only be so many people changing that spreadsheet at one given moment. Maybe 10 guys. At, uh, for Bitcoin, it's seven transactions per, section, uh, per second as it stands. This is a problem when you have 7 billion people, you know. Um, if we realistically wanted to see this used for buying, you know, drinks from this place over here, we're going to have a huge bottleneck. And that's basically what happened last year. Now, people say there are various conspiracies as to why it happened. It doesn't really matter why it happened, but the fact is that it did happen and it is likely to happen with these bottlenecks. So the problem is, uh, how do we overcome this? Now, this is where the innovation and the technological work is being done. There are multiple different approaches, and there's politics at play just like any, any, anything else. Some people say the innovation should happen on the spreadsheet itself. We need to increase the capacity of the spreadsheet so that you can have 7 billion people changing it at the same time, and there's never going to be any issues with that. And some people say, how about... We have like this, you know, uh, orphan, this like connected spreadsheet that works something like a tap. You know, you go to this, the, you go buy a drink and, you know, you, you get 100 drinks and you sort it out with the barman at the end of the day. So that's called layer two solutions. The layer, the first layer being the spreadsheet, the second layer being the layer two. Why you would use layer two is because you don't have to keep giving the bartender $10 bills every time you change, every time you get another drink. You can just sort it out at the end of the day. So these, the, the reason why this is uh, controversial, which maybe doesn't sound so, is because there are vested interests at play. Different people have different politics. And some people see, you know, layer two, for example, as a betrayal of the original premise of this idea that you would have this shared spreadsheet and that anybody can contribute to it and that there were no, there were, there's no minimum barrier. It's, it's, it's complicated stuff. Uh, so, I mean, that's my simplest explanation of the uh, layer one, layer two uh, scaling, for example. Sarah, Richard, you guys want to add on to that, change anything? Uh. Yeah, I think uh, the arguments for layer two innovation is when just to complement the argument is when that uh, when you design different blockchain based uh, solutions, uh, you may uh, need different. Uh, if we think about layer two as almost like plugging plugins and uh, other tools, you may need a different type of tools when you build different uh, applications. Uh, that's another argument for having more layer two innovation, so that without changing the layer one solutions, you can pick and uh, pick suitable layer to uh, uh, plugins to when you build different type of applications. Two of the main areas in my observation, when because uh, a lot of people are working on layer two uh, projects right now. The first one is uh, scaling, uh, the, uh, which you already mentioned. The other one is uh, privacy preservations, so for the most part. I, I really like the spreadsheet analogy. I'm going to keep trying to work on that one. I think, I suppose for me, just really working into that, the biggest question is who's going to pay the Google Apps bill 
this? And how do you work out a way that's fair between who's altered how many sheet uh, cells and how much that matters and who's contributing the most to that? And that's a really big problem, I think. You know, okay, so the, the, the biggest issue I feel for blockchains uh, growing and scaling to what these newer, bigger networks might need, for instance, even just everybody using them for money, is that they'll involve, it'll require sending a lot of data around. Um, and there are various attempts to work out, well, how do we, you know, pay people appropriately for that? Because clearly they're not going to run all this infrastructure for free. The biggest issue is you get into some quite simple and obvious questions when you think about it. If we just pay people for how much data they send, well, what stops Rowan and me from setting up a nice little deal where I send him a bunch of data and he sends me a bunch of data back? A bunch of junk data. Just junk yeah. data or the same data or why don't I make 15 copies of the data? If I'm being paid for that, what stops me from gaming it? So that's the real question that people are not haven't really got around to and there's different... I think, attempts to solve that. Once you have that cracked, I think then, you know, how you store your data, whether you shard it or you don't, is a technical implementation question. Those questions of, if this is a world network, a genuine world network, say mail or even just all the spreadsheets in the world changing every day, how many terabytes of information is that? If we're doing that all together, who's going to pay? And how do we make sure that heavy users pay appropriately and how do we make sure the people who provide the spreadsheets get rewarded appropriately? This is this is super interesting, and so it's it's it sounds like almost you're replicating social behavior, but on technology and trying to create barriers or bake in laws, let's say, to 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 technology to prevent or or discourage certain certain types of behavior. Right. Well, that's I mean that's the fundamental of what a blockchain is. So a blockchain uses those financial as economic pressures to make it too expensive to cheat. There's nothing stopping me from double spending on Bitcoin for just spending my money twice, sending it you know, to Sarah and to Rowan and then just running away uh, once I've got whatever they're giving me in return. The point is that I can't really effectively do that without spending too much money because I have to fork the chain. I have to make two copies of it, which needs a lot of mining in Bitcoin. That's just the financial trick. It's genius, and that's why people had failed with the hash cash and the things you were talking about before, these digital monies, was how do I stop people copying their digital checkbook and writing more checks? That was always the challenge. And proof of work, which is the basis for Bitcoin, does that with mining, and so it makes it expensive to make forgeries, and if you do it right, it's too expensive to forge. I think, to me, the issue is when we got to proof of work, the industry kind of stopped there on that one. Um, they said, well, we've got security, and they were like, and the network will follow. And if anybody, there's enough money to be made that if the network needs some subsidies, well, you know, someone will do it. And we've seen that's just not true. Nobody's got getting paid to run their Bitcoin node in their office really counting would not be happy with that. Okay. Uh, that's just not happening. And that's the real challenge if we're going to see this next massive set, stage of growth. Right, right. Cool, cool. So is everyone still with us? Yeah? Any questions? Any questions? No? Yes. So, so yeah, the question, the question is uh, mistakes. So what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes that crypto projects are making? I don't know. I feel like... Uh the percentage, uh, uh, let's be honest, there have been a lot of scams 
uh, <laughs> in the industry because the price was like growing so much. That that definitely like also hurt the consensus into this industry and also added a lot of noises about what 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 this can be. Like people are just like making empty promises that they can never fulfill, and that definitely hurt the reputation of the industry and. Uh, Uh, make like legit talents uh very reluctant. Some of them very reluctant to join very meaningful work, but but that was kind of on purpose, right? To some extent. So I don't know if it qualify as the as the mistakes. Yeah. For me, the mistakes is uh mostly we we were talking about the baked in politics in um in crypto, you know, and for me. Uh, maybe not six months. I think it's about two years now. Ethereum had a big fork, which I'm sure you're aware of. And for the for the general audience, the gist of it was this: one of the core things about uh, one of the core promises about uh, blockchain technology and the and the uh, and this double spending problem. Uh, uh, Richard was saying before that you know with computers uh, you have a A document, for say, for example, your resume. You can just copy and paste the resume, no problem, and that's super convenient. I can just send it to my friends, a million copies, no problem. It's a problem with money. It's a problem with money. So the blockchain was supposed to enable uh, a collection of technologies, supposed to work in unison to enable people not to be able to do that. For example, they're supposed to guarantee that, you know, this guy's uh, coin once he sends it to that guy, it's gone. He can't just copy. Uh, copy it a number of times and send to send it to all his friends. So, Ethereum, which is like the number two project, basically, uh, they did what I consider to be crypto sin. Uh, I don't know. People don't really talk about it in so much, but uh, I think um, they 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 thought that basically the gist of it was a contract was made. This this application in the sky was made with say fifty million dollars attached to it, and some collection of people or one person found a way to compromise this application such that he was able to or would would have been able to walk away with fifty million dollars. So the guys uh, behind Ethereum had a choice at that moment. Ethereum was relatively young then; it still is relatively young, only three year project, but younger still then. They had a choice. They were like. Can we just let this slide? Because the thing about you know this distributed ledger is, if you send that, if you send two million dollars to some guy and he ripped you off, you can't get it back because you can't just copy and paste that transaction or you can't erase it. It's a one-way thing. It's not. There's no chargebacks. So once it's gone, it's supposed to be done. Even if you made a mistake, it's supposed to. So it's supposed to be set in stone. You know that's supposed to be one of its uh, core features. Um, so the Ethereum people, you know, this this all all comes down to politics. They thought um, at the time that you know maybe fifty million dollars was 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 too much to to be losing at this formative stage, and so they forked they forked the network, which means they they copy pasted the network and and found a way to return that money uh, back to the people. That it was fundraised from, so effectively the transaction never happened. So what that says is that uh, transactions can be erased, or things can be undone, which is, I think, very dangerous uh, and sets a bad precedent for the, this idea of immutability, which is 
like for me, and I thought for many of the people involved in the um, in the broader space as the thing, you know, if if uh, the U.S. government can tomorrow say that, you know, we accidentally gave a billion dollars to fund some militia in Afghanistan, and then two weeks later says no, we didn't, and just delete the transaction, then there's no point, you know, like. Uh, I mean, there are many, many uh, there are many reasons why it is good, and I find that that particular example with Ethereum invalidates the whole thing. But it did happen. Um, I think for me, I could have gone on to the BCH fork, but um, I think actually the biggest mistake people made last year, especially with a lot of new people rushing in, was just fetishizing putting the technology too high in the scheme of what they were doing. So people didn't design. They didn't look at enough at the underlying technologies they were working with and say, what do they do? How do they do them? Why do they do that? And they did that at the business, the business case level. In a lot of cases, they kind of just rushed through that, um, sometimes on purpose, uh, whether it was a scam or just hope. Um, but really, people didn't stop and sit back and say, how does all of this work? You know, um, in the same way that I think Jeff definitely happened with Bitcoin and definitely happened with Ethereum, where these were some big ideas and people understood them to be experiments, people started rushing in and saying, we've seen all these experiments, they look great, we can finish them with tech and tech only. Uh, and this was a lovely story to tell. If I'm a business person, I'm like, I don't want to think maybe there's some underlying flaws in what I'm doing. I wonder if this works at all. It's great. I'm like, okay, the tech guys are smart. They'll take care of that, right? And I can go ahead and sell my vision to people and that's what I'll do. And then if I'm a tech guy, that's a lovely thing to be told. Yeah, you're smart enough to, to fix, fix this and we've got faith in you and here's some money to do it. So I think that was probably the biggest mistake last year is people didn't take at face value, although they did take at face value, they didn't look deeply enough into what are these technologies, what do they do, what can they really achieve? And how should we use them? And they went straight for techn technical solutions when really business engineering and thinking were needed to say, how do we do this? Yeah, I, I think, sorry. So I mean, it's, it's really interesting because, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of analogies are made or comparisons are made between what's happening now with blockchain and what happened with the internet. Um, and of course, there's a lot, a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. The most salient uh, right now specifically is just that, that these days there's, there's, there's a, a much larger industry or, or technology is much more mainstream uh, than, 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 it, than it was than it was at the, the beginning of the internet when it was first being commercialized um, and so so now I think that one of one of the issues is is that I mean there's so many people that want to get in because everyone kind of understands at a, at a, at a fundamental level how important disruption is and you have and you got to get in you got to get in as early as possible obviously there's there's the VC model there's also this, the startup model the entrepreneur model that you know if you're not if you're not you know the first in the market you might you might just lose anyway so you got you got to get in there as quickly as possible um, so so looking so looking at, at, at blockchain and, and whether or not people actually understand it I think is really interesting because there is a much wider audience to consume information about this to to consume financial products uh, about this about this very very new technology but I think I think someone mentioned maybe Ron you mentioned it earlier there's not enough education going on. Uh, so even even for myself, trying to educate myself about it, it hasn't been easy to find to find resources that I can actually explain it in in simple terms, like you guys are doing tonight. What it actually means, how it works, and what some of the what some of the big challenges are. So I hope it's I hope it's helpful uh, for you guys. Um, and it kind of brings me to, to to like the next the next kind of section that, that I want to talk about, 
is um, adoption, right? And so, so now we've we've kind of dealt a lot with the with the technical issues, um, some some of the some of the bigger ones. But then, when it, when it comes to actual adoption, when maybe it may be, what's what's the solution? Is it is it education? Is it is it return on investment? I mean, where do where do you see this? Where do you where do you see it now? And where do you think it needs to go? So there is a very interesting term I uh, I read about uh, last year with blockchain. It's called blockchain tourism. So <laughs> so a lot of companies come to like a plus blockchain as a tourist, and some of them like went back to their hometown. <laughs> so um, but uh, right now, uh, 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 but but some people stayed and uh, uh, become a resident, right? And so uh, I think definitely economic uh, analysis is uh, a important way to illustrate impact, especially right now, both the VC market uh, as well, uh, at least here in China, and the crypto market are coming down. People are becoming much more. Uh, uh, strict uh, slash rational about measuring uh, these kind of things, uh, 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 and uh, and I, w I was telling John the other day one of the furthest uh, uh, along project uh, besides uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and all that is the IBM and Masic uh, case, uh, which is called TradeLens. So. It's a trade finance use case, uh, starting from very simple things, uh, actually synchronizing all the different type of documentations. Uh, uh, a, a shipping company needs to handle from port to port and share those with uh, the customs, with the shipper, receiver, ports, insurance company, etc., etc. It take a long time to build, but right now it already covers 80% of the uh, shipping companies around the world, and also it covers uh, more than 200 plus uh, uh, ports already. And and they measured, they followed the study for uh, past 12 months and through the new process, it actually reduced the time to arrive in the United States uh, by uh, uh, through this network by 40%. So uh, some of those early results and those kind of numbers start to uh, come in. And I think w with those type of uh, numbers, uh, it will be easier to convince stakeholders uh, to uh, chip in. So that's uh, what I can observe on the ground. Okay, uh, so when it comes to adoption, the way I look at it is, uh, again, people want to see this happen. You know, they want, for example, there's this thesis that in the developing world, these kind of technologies would be particularly useful in curbing the effects of hyperinflation. For example, in Argentina, in Venezuela, in Turkey, in Iran, I think as well. Um, you know, they suffer from this problem where in simple terms, the price of something today vastly changes from the price of something in two weeks' time. Um, so you want to buy some bread, it's $10 today, tomorrow it's $100, but your wages stay the same. This is a huge problem. So literally, I mean, people's people's uh, purchasing power rapidly decreases in very short amounts of time. Their savings, everything gets bankers. So in these kinds of places, people typically flock to things like gold or the US dollar or relatively stable assets where they can rely on to do everyday things and you know send their kids to school, buy groceries, etc. So when it comes to adoption, we are seeing, uh, in the case of Dash, I keep seeing very positive reports about uh, Dash being accepted in places like uh, uh, Subway, uh, KFC, uh, uh, even uh, I saw there's a local chain there called... Uh, it's uh, forget the name, but uh, 
there was three: uh, Papa John's, KFC, and Subway. All, and not maybe not all the franchises, but I think just getting these big brands on board to do to accept this as a legitimate form of uh, transaction, uh, a transactional medium is very impressive. I mean, I haven't, I'm from Australia and I don't really, last time I was, I went, I visited Australia, I didn't see much in that way. But uh, for me, adoption needs to happen at that grassroots level. E even in spite of that, I mean, if you look at the, uh, if you look at Bitcoin transactions, despite this market tumble, we're still looking at about 250,000 uh, transactions per day at present. Obviously, those transactions are worth less than they were. The Lightning Network itself has grown four, uh, a factor by a factor of four in the last month alone, which is, you know, the Lightning Network is a, a means of scaling the Bitcoin network such that it would allow more of these transactions per second and eliminate some of the bottlenecks there. So, I mean, we are seeing progress. Whether you're getting entire countries to use it, it's not really a thing as yet. Um, but I think, like so many other decentralized technologies and open source technologies, from my belief, it's going to happen from the grassroots. People are going to want to, they're going to be compelled to use this stuff. Yep. I think you guys, um, sorry, two, two aspects really well um, in terms of business use and business uptake and financial use and financial uptake of, of you know, crypto as, as, as financial instrument. Uh, to me, what's really exciting, and I think the thing that will, in numbers, blow that all away eventually, is when people don't realize they're doing stuff on chain. Uh, when we get back to looking at being able to build proper applications, and what's stopping us at the moment is, is dApps and this sort of idea of tiny little apps that let you, you know, bet on who's going to climb a mountain first in a little video game or something, or kind of make a small smart contract to do something like distribute some money when something happens. And these are just not very, they're not very user friendly. They're the kinds, that, to me, they're like what academics were doing on the internet in the 70s and 80s when they were just sending, raw sending emails, you know, they were typing them into punch cards, sending each other data. And it was useful, but it was really not something people were going to use. And what we'll see, I think, over the next few years as people start to build genuine blockchain applications is things will start to happen like the advertising industry will start to be disrupted and there'll be different ways of getting money from your internet usage. People won't know they're doing it. It'll look like the apps that they had before. And as that starts to creep up, then they'll have some online credit that looked like points that they used to have from their airline, but they're kind of more broadly accepted and I just bought a burger with them or I just bought my uh, dandamian with them. And... I think we'll see this growing, creeping sense of that where, hey, my ISP is offering me free access if I subscribe to their versions of these apps that are paying me. And I think that's where we've got this huge future that's going to totally change things. And that will be thousands of transactions a day because it'll be when I open my app and get the, get the DD, it'll be when I watch TV, when I do everything. I'll be getting and sending tiny amounts of crypto along with data. And to me, that's the real adoption curve we haven't even started to see yet. Well, I mean, it's interesting because another, I mean, there's a there's an analogy there, a historical analogy there with, um, you know, in, innovations in, in media. So from from radio to TV uh, and now TV to, to online um, video and, and things like that, where if you look, if you look at, um, you know, the first the first radio uh, programs were basically people people just uh, telling stories. 
um, kind of like a regular a regular storyteller. And then and then of course the medium the medium evolves. There's lots of sound effects. There's 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 a lot going on. It turns into a whole a whole big a whole big production. And then of course from from the from the radio to the to the television. I mean, for the first television programs were just basically radio talk shows with uh, with 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 uh, with video cameras. Uh, and so as 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 a new medium um, uh, is is created, people use old ways of using that medium to figure out what what exactly they can do with it. And as people get more used to it, and as as more people are born into the technology, uh, then then they figure out new and real super interesting ways. I mean, like you look at like in in Western Western culture, like you know all these kids on on YouTube and Twitch and stuff like that, and it's just it's just crazy. I mean, I'm 34 years old and I feel old. I feel really old. Um, but yeah, so any, any questions so far? Any questions? No? Okay, that's fine. Um, so, so adoption, adoption's a big thing. Um, and then, and then maybe, so interoperability. This is, this is, this has been one of the, one of the big questions in, in my mind is, you know, you look at TCPIP, for example, and the reason that TCPIP works for, for a lot of different reasons is interoperability and how that interoperability stacks, uh, up and down, up and down in di di different, different layers. Um, but with, with blockchain, we're looking at something a little bit different. And we're looking at a lot of different projects all competing to do very, very similar things. So, so when we're looking at, um, I mean, how, how, are, how are these projects going to be connected? Um, and, you know, are, are we going to be, are we seeing, have we already seen a winnowing? I mean, are we seeing winners in, in, in certain, certain spaces? And, and, and how, how are these winners going to connect to each other if they're, if, if, even if they're solving different problems? Uh, so I think interoperability is, uh, to some extent, oftentimes very ill-defined still. Uh, uh, so uh, when we talk about interoperability, is it about uh, data can be shared uh, between different uh, chains and apps, or is it uh, the uh, assets or tokens can be uh, can, can 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 be shared and transacted, uh, etc. etc. So it's not very well defined. Uh, it's a uh, it's definitely one of the hype <laughs> in my view uh, in last year. But I feel like uh, of course it's important to talk about how all those chains can be interoperable uh, later on at some point. But at this stage, the priority of the industry should definitely actually be trying to make an MVP, like try to uh, try to iterate and make. A, a killer application that works even if it's on one chain instead of uh, uh, trying to solve this problem at this point in time. And uh, uh, I feel like uh, in the end of the day, I don't think there will be only one chain remains, but definitely uh, some, some chains are going to prove they are better than the others and they will have more traffic, more users, uh, uh, and they will naturally become the uh, more widely used ones. The way I see this is like, um, okay, everybody remembers MySpace or, um, okay, so you got, okay, there was Facebook, there is Facebook, there was something called MySpace, there's LinkedIn, there's uh, so many of these things, Google Plus, there's a million of them. Are they interoperable? You know, are they? They're, they're worlds unto themselves for the most part. And the idea that the internet thesis, well, not just, there's a thesis that says, you know, so often in technology projects, it's a winner takes all thing. You know, once you get the project uh, going for various reasons, you get, you have network scaling effects and people are driven 
to monopolize uh, to monopolize the audience with one platform. It's just it's just convenient when all your friends are already using it. You just you're grabbing. I mean, people can't be bothered using five different messages. They just use WeChat. You know, because everybody in China uses WeChat, you know, and that's just a way. And because everybody's using WeChat in China, so then you know somebody wants to use it, and it's not they don't want to use WeChat and Telegram and WhatsApp and whatever blah blah. I don't want to. I have to because not everybody outside of China <laughs> uses WeChat. But uh, I think with these kind, of, here's another one like BitTorrent. You know, uh, for ten years it, again, it's made by a guy who he basically contributed some code into the internet uh it was i think he came up with the first implementation of it and it spread like a virus the idea that uh you know it needs to be commercialized or that um that it's got to be heavily marketed i don't think is is uh so true i think when people want something it, they will grab to it and it will just spread by itself and it has it'll make a network of its own and i think in the technology world that is interoperability is just in my opinion to save uh, to to i mean there's a thousand of these token projects and i think honestly believe that not many of them will survive it's it's a means of maybe keeping some of those alive um just to be different again i'll take a different look at the the question uh to me interoperability is a kind of today problem and it's not a technical problem so much, it's a data size problem. Right? Because all of these chains are starved for data, they have to do what they do in a very specific way and you have to know, if you go and look at what they've done, you have to know a lot about that chain to understand this bit of data means this and this bit of data means this. And this. If you had something more like the internet, a big open uh, data carrying network, I can put all the information in there I need to to tell you what this thing in the chain is. Uh, so I'm thoroughly convinced that this interoperability idea will just go away once people have sufficient on-chain data because I can then just send a message along with my data to say this is what to do with this. right? And so if your application gets data from Rowan's and data, uh, data from my application, you just need to check how we specified the data went in, and guess what? That's how the internet works. Right. It's just APIs. Yeah. It's APIs. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I think um, we're almost near the end of the discussion, um, but uh, but one last thing. I mean, the the, t the title of the panel is blockchain in twenty nineteen. Um, so you know, quick two minutes prediction for for twenty nineteen. What do you think is going to be the big thing? Um, I've said it a bunch of times. On chain scaling. It's going to be the big debate. Uh, end chain pushing ahead. Um, we've been on about it all this year and uh, it's great to have somebody else getting back to this main thing but I think that original cypherpunk vision for, for Bitcoin and for this uh, the things that a genuine global uncensorable broadcast network can do for you I think we'll start to see people going back and talking fundamentals about that I, I really hope we do 2019 um I, I am a little excited to see what will happen with security tokens. Uh, I think that could be exciting, being able to own fractions of houses, for example, being able to invest in fractions of businesses. I mean, you can do that with shares, but having real-world commodities and assets on uh, some kind of blockchain, hopefully a public blockchain, that's pretty exciting for me. And also, yeah, admittedly, I think a lot of this scaling technology is really it's rolling out slowly now, and for example, with Ethereum, 
hopefully we'll be seeing some of that next year. I'm super excited to see who's going to win, uh, who's, uh, which one of these networks is really, I mean, like I mentioned before, Lightning is rolling out pretty well. It's still in beta. I mean, capitalization, I checked today, was about, it's only like a few million. So it's nothing compared to the actual parent chain. But imagine if we saw a billion dollars in that, what that could mean is I, I can't even, um, I think that's, that's the moment, whether it'll be next year or in the coming years, I'm not sure. So I have two predictions. The first one is uh, 2019 for a lot of projects is going to uh, be uh, very turbulent uh, because there's uh, at this stage still embedded paradox in, in the space of blockchain cryptocurrencies because on one hand, a lot of those projects is trying to aim for a goal or vision uh, to build something either similar to digital gold or trying to be anti-quantitative easing, etc., etc. So basically trying to build a more stable and account accountable economy. But at the same time, because uh, uh, for uh, for the stage of this, these projects are, are they are the uh, tech uh, tech startup slash tech bubbles themselves. So which is the most uh, <laughs> turbulent uh, and uh, volatile um, uh, big, uh, amongst all, just because the uh, risk and price uh, as uh, essence of it. Uh, that's why th this is this uh, very um, embedded paradox. Because uh, uh, between the goals and w w what it will eventually be versus what what, what it, uh, it actually is, we see that from bitcoins already. Uh, although it's mean to be a uh, digital gold of some sort, but at the same time, when the um, money actually uh, the, the the monetary supply actually shrinks uh, in the market, because it's also alternative uh, investing. People that's uh, for some people that's the first place where they put their money out. So it can actually become uh, more turbulent than others. So uh, 2019, because the U.S. stock price is also very high, uh, the China-U.S. trade war is becoming even and even more intense. So the uncertainties were all reflecting to this paradox. So uh, that's my first prediction. So my second prediction is that uh, personally, because of the project I do and the, the vision I have for blockchain, so I've been always uh, trying to look into the idea of a personal data wallet, uh, slash is some people call it DID to some extent. To me, it's uh, more or less the same thing. Uh, I think there will be new ideas uh, about uh, and also new forms uh, how this type of uh, application use case will become, uh, which is different from what we imagined in the past, uh, uh, a simple DID of some sort, or only a place where you can manage your data port. So I think uh, uh, we, uh, within our teams, we have a couple of ideas. We will try them out. But I do believe uh, if it is not my project, it can be someone else's project in 2019, new form of this personal data wallet uh, will uh, will will appear, especially right now. The large companies are also paying attention to it. Google just uh, established a new office uh, called Trust and Security, directly reporting to their CEO. There are a lot of new minds looking into these problems, and there will be progress and new forms going into this. That's great. That's great. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much to the panelists. Thank you so much to the audience. And uh, we'll be we'll be here for a little bit. So uh, stick around. Uh, if you have any questions, we'll we'll be here. Thank you. Thank you.